Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. you again the purpose of why I use the word revolutionary. It's not only the term revolutionary in the sense of being groundbreaking and life-changing, but also the sense of revolving, circling. And one of the things that can be revolutionary to your life is the more we revolve our lives and dig deeper into God's truth. And one amazing truth that we're going to do today is circle around and dive deeper into the concept of the grace of God. There is a theme throughout the entire book of Acts, and it's the same theme that's throughout the entire Bible. And it's this theme. It is the theme of God's grace. Now, when you think of God's grace, I don't know if you think of amazing grace. I know that's probably one, right? We think of things like that, but what does that mean? We're not singing that song today, by the way, just so you know. All right, but it's one of those things where grace, I want to make sure you understand what that looks like. Because God's grace is literally God's action and his hand in your life. If I can put anything um, to maybe a nice picture, imagine a boat, all right? Imagine a sailboat, all right, with the sail but no wind. Y'all feel me on that? So you got a sailboat, and obviously a sailboat in order to move needs wind. And so that is the grace of God. But it's bigger than that. The grace of God is not just the wind that blows it, but it's the ability that even put the ship together. Like it's all of it. That's God's grace. And throughout the entire Bible, no matter what you read, you are reading and seeing elements of his grace, his actions, his everything that he is doing for us, towards us. And the thing about God's grace is that it is a gift. Well, this is a, a, a word that Paul likes to use. God's grace is a gift. You know why it's a gift? Because you don't, you don't deserve it and you can't earn it. Literally, the only way you can get it is by just receiving it as a gift. And that's what we've seen throughout the entire book of Acts. We are seeing after opposition, after opposition, conflict, after confusion, after you know debating and all this stuff. All we're seeing is God's grace moving and, and helping people to not only become saved, but to help others to do the same. And that grace, guys, and this is the part where I really want to encourage you to do today, is to not leave this grace unused or unclaimed. Because what I just said right now is something that unfortunately way too many of us, and look, I, I, the best of us, me too, I find myself still at times trying to rely on my own strength or rely on my own wisdom to figure things out or to fix the problems. Anybody one of those that that you like to, anybody future planners that you just love to figure out the next 10 years and all that stuff? Anybody like to do that, right? Or then if if there's something that, you know what, let me get it done. I like to fix things. I like to do that. There's nothing wrong with those things. But all of us have this tendency to rely on ourselves when God has made it possible through Jesus, through the cross, through his resurrection for us to experience his grace in our life. And his grace, guys, is everything that you lack. It's the wisdom that you don't have, the strength you don't have, the peace, the patience, the kindness you don't have. He makes up the difference, but you have to use it. A lot of times, guys, it goes unclaimed and unused. Very much like this. I was actually shocked to hear this. Do you guys know that in America, there, are, there is 49 billion, with a B, 49 billion dollars of unclaimed money in the United States right now? 49 billion. And when I say unclaimed, it means that the payer couldn't contact the payee. 
and usually this revolves around somebody dying and this person did not leave a formal will and all of their estates, right, their, their money, some, you know, their safety deposit boxes, their, their accounts, their uh, in, you know, investments that they had made, all of these things are just sitting there. And because they didn't have a will and maybe not an ex of kin that's like either a son, a child or, you know, something like that, maybe it's like a second relative, there's people that don't know that they have money with their name on it. Literally, there is money with their name on it. And by the way, there's a website. You can actually look this up, type in your name to see if any unclaimed money you have. Now, stop right now because I know some of y'all just went to unlock your phones. Some of y'all went to unlock your phones and some already, you know, Google, how do I unclaim my money? How do I do? I need to know if I got, un okay, you can do that later. You got time. You got time. I saw it on some, I saw some itchy trigger fingers. I, not, I knew it. All right. All right, online, I better still be on the screen, just so you know, okay? But listen, you got time for that. But the whole point is that, listen, there's a lot of money that is unclaimed that belongs to somebody, but it's just sitting there. I want you to know in the same way, the riches of God's grace is made available to us, and it's sitting there, waiting, God waiting for us to trust in him, waiting for us to invite him, all right? And that is what we're gonna look at today. How do we access God's grace. I'm going to tell you right now how you do it. You access it by faith, not by force. You access it by faith, not by force. You can't manipulate your way through it. You can't, you know, do a song and dance for to get more. No, God's grace is God's grace. You accept it by faith. And this is the part where we're going to look at in our book, in the, in the chapter in our story today of the book of Acts, because there was a conflicting message about how to access God's grace and how to live by it. And so we're going to look at that because, guys, the same debate is happening today. So let's look at it. Let's go. Um, well, actually, before we put it, I'm going to save you some time. So I'm going to give you a little uh, preset uh, because we're going to read a letter that James wrote. That's what we're going to read. It's found in Acts 15, chapter 22. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn already to Acts 15. We're going to start in verse 22. Not going to put it up yet. Um, but let me just give you a little uh, prequel. All right. So there was a conflicting message, and I'll read this one quickly. It's not on the screen. And this is the message. Acts 15, 1, it says that some men came from Judea, which is the, the nation of Israel, and began to teach the brothers in other cities outside of Israel where there were Christians. And they were telling them, listen to this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom and uh, prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, this is a conflicting message. Last week, what you saw there on our previous lease, all right, and I, I don't know why, it's, to me, that, that's personally, it's one of my nice little, uh, little 2022 traditions that I, I think is pretty cool. Is a, uh, I just, any excuse that I get to hear my wife's voice, I love it. She's the intro on that. And so, uh, so with this, at the very beginning, guys, uh, last week we talked about in the previous lease that Paul and Barnabas went on this massive missionary journey, town after town after town, where people, either very few or did not know about Jesus, and they're giving them a message saying, guys, you can be saved. Salvation is made possible by faith in Jesus because of what he's done for us on the cross and that he rose from the dead and they were doing all of these things and God was showing them amazing stuff and people were getting saved left and right every town as they're moving on and then now here's a conflicting message the same people who the tour who Paul and everybody went on a tour and said hey you can be saved by faith now these guys are saying no no you got to be saved through surgery Okay, that's what it was. You got to be saved through surgery. Like, no, no, no. I know that's what they said. But if you want to be a believer, if you want to be a Christian, if you want your sin forgiven and want to be saved, you not you need to believe in Jesus and 
You caught that, what I said earlier? It's like, you have to do this. You have to follow all of our Jewish laws and customs and rules and things like that. Um, when you read all of Acts 15, which we're not going to do, these were called the people from the Pharisee, the Pharisaical party, the Judaizers. So some of us that we were here maybe a month or so ago, this sounds familiar. We talked about this uh, a while ago. Paul shows up and to Cornelius' house. He was a Roman, the first non-Jew to be saved, his whole family. And the people were like, uh, hold on, wait a second. You know, you were over there hanging out with people you're not supposed to be hanging out with. And then there was this debate on what do we do with non-Jewish Christians? Because up until that point, everybody in the church was Jewish. All right. They all spoke the same language. They all had the same culture, same mannerisms. But then this, I mean, the floodgate was open with this one conversion with Cornelius. And now when we just read right now at this point in church history, it's about 48, 47 AD, maybe closer to 50, but around there. So it has been over 20 years since Jesus rose from the dead when we just read that. Almost 20 years. And at this point, I mean, it's not even close, guys. The church is way more non-Jewish than Jewish. And so you got these Jewish people that have been there for, probably for, since the beginning. And they're seeing all of these non-Jews showing up now and becoming saved. And so these guys, these pharisaical guys were all about, they loved Jesus. They believed in him, but they also loved their culture. They love their culture too much, which rightfully so. Guys, there's a lot of beautiful things about the Jewish culture, especially that is rooted in the Old Testament Hebrew Bible that God has given us that speaks to who is nature, to his character. But see, these guys thought, you know what, guys, we got a problem. We got a lot of non-Jews showing up to church services and they're all dressing like non-Jews. These guys are former pagans. They were all worshiping demons not too long ago. And now they're showing up dressed in a kind of way that oh, you don't understand. That's not how we dress, bro. And then they're all doing certain things and acting in kind of ways still. They're like, bro, what are we gonna do? And a lot of these guys were concerned that the non-Jewish Christians were going to bring in demonic pagan practices that they were used to, that they grew up with, and it was going to corrupt the purity of the church. So they thought it was easy. It was like, you know what? This is easy. How about this, guys? All right, rule, new rule. If you're a believer, you got to be a Jew too. All right, fixed it, solved, problem solved. That was the idea. And um, it was a way to control people. But it was sad, though, because in essence, what they were saying is you need to abandon everything unique about your culture and your identity and adopt a new one. But the identity we're supposed to adopt is Christ, not so much another culture. You see that? And so there was this big debate. And listen, Paul and Barnabas actually got heated on this. It, it says it in Acts 15. Last week I talked about as Christians, we have to know when not to engage. Like, listen, uh, don't get in that kind of a conversation. Don't get crazy. Like, hey, you know, draw the lines. All right, God bless you. Pray for them. Walk away. But when it comes to believers, uh, especially on matters of salvation, Paul and Barnabas were like, all right, listen, we got to talk. Hold on, hold on a second. And so they rolled up their sleeves. And I'm like, no, no, no. Hold on, man. How are you telling them they got to do this and they got to do that? They even called a meeting, okay? They snitched. I'm like, all right, hey, hey, we got, they call a meeting in Jerusalem. All the apostles show up. It brings everybody together and they pretty much, you know, rightfully tattletale. I'm like, look, these guys are doing this. And then they all have this debate and they're talking about that. And I'm like, what is it again? How are we saved? And what does it look like to be saved? That was the question. And guys, these were people 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. So if you're still confused about what it looks like to be a believer, guys, the people who were there, all right, still had some issues 20 years later, so you're in good company. But they were a little confused, and some people were. Some people were not confused, some people were. 
And so Peter shows up and he was like, all right, man, look, I talked about this already, man. And then he repeats what he said a couple chapters ago. Paul and Barnabas show up, tell them about the stories. They tell them about the word experience. So I'm like, guys, no, because if these people had to become Jewish to follow all these rules, then why is God doing this in their life? So no, and they settled on this one thing where these guys were pushing a, you gotta be saved by grace and, which happens still today. Guys, I'm telling you, there's still debates today. Today, it's amazing. You would have think, uh, you would have thought, yo, this would have been settled, but no, still today. No, if you want to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to believe in Jesus and follow all these rules to be saved. You see, now there's, here's, watch. I'm, can you follow the difference online? And everybody else, look. Can you see the difference between I do this to be saved versus I do this because I'm saved? See the difference? It's subtle. It's subtle, and then that, you can see why maybe there could be a debate. I'm like, wait a minute, but if you're not doing that, that means you're not saved, right? And so there's grace towards growing and all that stuff. But see, where these guys are saying a grace and, no, 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 Paul and Barnabas and even James eventually says, all right, listen, I've settled it. He was kind of like the, the procedure. He was the one overseeing it all, and he says, I've made a decision, prayed about it, done. We are saved by grace alone. Not grace and, by grace alone. And that's the one thing, guys, I want to make sure we understand today. Because to be saved by grace alone means that you cannot contribute to your own salvation. Like Peter stood up to these guys and told them in Acts 15, he says, why are you testing God? Guys, when you take a test, what is a test composed of? Questions. I heard somebody say, right? Questions. When you take a test, aren't you, right, being asked questions? And so here they're saying, when you say this and when you live and when you demand that others follow all of these rules in order to be saved, you are testing God by questioning him. In essence, what you're telling God is, listen, what you did on the cross, Jesus, it was beautiful. All right. Touched. It's amazing. All right. I ain't gonna lie. Um, you know, thank you uh, for first off. Um, but you know what? I'll take it from here. Can you hear that? What you, when that is what it means when you say and think that in order to be saved, I was like, I need to believe in Jesus and behave. It's like you're telling God what Jesus did is not enough. You need my help to save yourself. Do you, do you see the problem there? It doesn't make sense. But that's the good news, guys. And this is why Paul is such a theme everywhere. He says, guys, no, we are saved by grace alone. The only thing that you contribute to your uh, conversion, the only thing you can contribute to your salvation is your confession that Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. That is it. That's the only thing you contribute is the very sin that God needs to forgive. That is all that you bring to the table. That is it. And so here they're debating and they're going back and forth and they finally settle on this one thing. And so the resolution was actually pretty cool. And we're going to read this letter now. The letter actually um, communicates two things. It tells these people, number one, how are we saved? And it's by grace. But then he also says, how are we called to live? Which is also the same number. So also the same, same word. So let's do it, guys. Let's go to Acts 15. Now I'm going to put it up. Verse 22. The, the, the church made a, they kind of got together, wrote a letter, made a decision. And now they're sending this letter all throughout the, all of those towns. And here's what the letter says. Well, prior to the letter, verse 22 is a setup. It says this. Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church 
They decided to select among them, uh, from among them and send to Antioch, uh, which is a, a, the major city center where all the Christian activity is happening at this point. They sent Paul and Barnabas. We already know who those guys were if you've been watching. Judas, called Barsabbas. Silas, here's an introduction of a new person that we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. You'll see him again. And both leading men among the brothers. And so these guys, it's like everybody knew. In all of these towns, they, everybody knew who Paul and Barnabas were. They even knew who, who Judas and Barsabbas was. And so it was kind of like a way of authority. I'm like, yo, these guys are saying it, then I, we trust it. So let's read the letter. Here's the letter that James, the pastor James, uh, the same guy who wrote James in the backhand of the New Testament, he writes this. It says, from the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among you, the Gentiles, in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Gentiles mean non-Jewish Christians in this point. It says, greetings. Since we have heard that some without our author authorization, all right, they went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you, along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul, you, who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all remember last week, we know already what they, the little that they did, and oh, it's just going to get even more interesting in the coming weeks. Therefore, we have sent Judas also and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours not to place further burdens on you be, uh, beyond these requirements. All right, so look, we're going to ask of you something, but just this. It says this. Uh, abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. All right, now uh, read this with me out loud. This is an interesting thing. Online, read it out loud with me as well. Ready? Can we read that last part? You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. You will do well if you keep these things uh, if you keep yourselves from these things. So, all right, that's the resolution. So let's, let's, let's come back up here, all right? That's the resolution. So with this, the issue, um, the issue or the, the, the end result was not only that we are saved by grace, but that we call the live, boy, uh, live by it. Uh, if you read the rest of Chac uh, Acts uh, 15, the, the church that received this letter, they all were rejoicing. They were excited because I'm like, oh, good, thank you, because I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't excited about that surgery. I'm glad. So the guys were celebrating. It was kind of nice. You know, they didn't have to worry about those things. Everybody else wasn't having to worry about having to abandon all their culture. Like, oh, I can't speak this language anymore. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, so it, everybody was excited to know that salvation is, is, is made possible by just believing and receiving in Jesus alone. That was it. That was it. So everybody was excited about that. And I think that everybody was excited about this little, um, you know, four things when they said, look, just as long as you don't do these four things, you're fine. As long as you don't do these four things, you're fine. And guys, I love the genius behind it because could you imagine if I said, all right, if you want to be a believer, all right, listen, you got to do these 10 things, do these things. Well, well what about this? I'm like, all right, let's add an 11. And I was like, but what about this? I'm like, all right, let's add two more. But when it says, listen, as long as you're not doing these four things, you're fine. As long as you're not doing these four things, you're fine. So then it created a lot of freedom and diversity in order to be a believer in Christ. It was cool. But those four things are weird. I mean, I, right now, you're probably like, all right, Pastor, I, I, I get you. One of those, sexual morality. Okay, I get it. The other ones are weird, right? Right? And what is it? Um, it says blood, abstain from uh, offering food to idols. Okay. Uh, from blood. I'm good there, I guess. From eating anything that has been strangled. 
wait, what? That sounds an awkward one. All right, for sexual immorality, cool. Well, you would even think that one would be basic, but here we go. I'm going to say it. Um, every time sexual morality, and I'm not apologizing for this, God himself, when you look at the whole thing, even New Testament, I can care less what anybody else says contrary to this. Yo, I'll, I'll die on this sword. Sexual immorality, every time we see it here, is anything, any sexual expression, action, attitude that is not expressed within the context of a man born a man and a woman born a woman in holy matrimony, period. That's it. That's what it is. That's what it is. And I, now the fact that I have to say it like that, you know, is, is I want to be clear. And so anything outside of that, so anything homo or hetero outside of that, you're out of bounds. All right. You're out of bounds on that. And now, okay, that makes sense. But that, all the other stuff is weird and you would think. So let me just give you a little, um, a little idea. So what Paul, what, I'm sorry, what James is pretty much and what the whole church said, all right, guys, if you want to be a believer, here's the good news. Here's the good news. You don't have to adopt Jewish customs. I'm like, ah, oh, cool. Cause I wasn't going to look cute in those little curls. I know something maybe all right, I was going to look cute like that or whatnot. And so, you know, I like my cuisine. I like my pork, you know, I don't know. And so anyways, the, the good news was you don't have to adopt Jewish customs. But you do have to abandon certain pagan practices. That's the, that's the caveat. He says you don't have to adopt Jewish customs, but you have to abandon certain pagan practices. And all four of those things are pagan practices. All right. Now, all of them actually were, I'm going to try to keep this as PG as possible. I got kids in the room, and so, but uh, I'm just going to keep it as PG as possible. All of those activities that he said all happened inside of these uh, temples that uh, a lot of these places had back in the day. And so almost every town had a temple and a lot of times multiple places where you would worship gods and you would worship the gods of, you know, your patron god of this or your patron god of that. A lot of gods were designed and temples were designed around your job. So if you were a part of a guild, this was a thing. If, uh, you know, if you're like an electrician guild, right, a union, maybe it's like a modern thing. And so if you were part of a union, then you had a god that was associated with that job and with this. And so you would, as part of your job and part of your employment, you'd have to go to the meetings, okay? You'd have to do things like that. And you have to show up and interact and do these things. And so here's what you would do. It pretty much was just one big party. And uh, they would do it all in the name of this God. And there would be eating and drinking. Now, the eating would be part of the food, right? They would bring these food, you know, think of a potluck. And they're all bringing a potluck to the God. And they're thanking the God, bringing sacrifices of praise. Thank you for being the source of I have food because of you. Thank you. I praise your name. You're amazing. You're awesome. Thank you for everything you've given me. All right. So there was a lot of, they would bless it and kind of eat. There was also some drinking. And this is where the strangle thing comes in. Um, they would uh, uh, have animals and they would slit uh, the veins and the throats of the animals and they would just drink the blood. That's, that's the drinking that would go down. And they would kind of like mess with the blood as well. So that, there's a reason why he says don't eat things that are strangled. Which also is kind of a cool little thing. In essence, kind of shows a little anti-animal cruelty for all the animal lovers in the house. I'm like, oh, I like that. It's cool there. And so, you know, uh, it, it, it speaks of, you know, treating an animals humanely also. But then that's why there's blood in an animal. Because if you kill it by strangulation, all the blood's still inside. You see that? And so they would save it for those moments. And then that's, you know, instead of popping bottles, they're popping veins. Just so, 
hey, that's what they would do, okay? So they, that way they would just pop the veins and that's what they're drinking. And so it was just, it was weird. And so you could see where that, you know, all the food now, it, it's all related to this celebration. The food was done in honor of a God. It wasn't just, hey guys, something great, yo, my, you know, so-and-so got this promotion, let's go out to eat for dinner. This wasn't that. Everything was done in honor of a God. And then the demonic, which I say demonic because these gods were demons that were being asked to be worshipped. Uh, the end of it, in the same way that maybe we're all singing together in church services like today, we're all singing together, we're all listening, maybe we'll drink some coffee, you know, give a high five, a hug, you know, so we got Hispanics in the house, so we like to do a little kiss on the cheek. These church services ended with one big soup of orgies, and so that's what happened. Uh, as I'll just leave it there. And so that's, so you can see the sexual morality part, okay? I apologize for the parents that have to now, uh, now you have an awkward conversation on the way home. But hey, that's the reality of it, okay? So the thing is that everything here, all of this was done in the temples. And this, so can you see why? Jesus, yo, if you guys want to be a believer in Jesus, that's great. Just don't do that. <laughs> okay, just don't do those four things. I mean, it, number one, ill. Okay, in almost all of it. Number two, not sanitary, right? Come on now. And so, but it was deeper than that. Because see, here's the thing. If it was just with activities that were centered around the pagan temples, then wouldn't this letter have been a little easier? James literally just could have said, hey guys, good news, you don't have to adopt Jewish practices, um, but stop going there, right? Easy enough said, no, don't do what you do there. That's it, just don't go there. But it's different, he doesn't say that. Because see, a lot of these activities, not only did they happen inside of the temple, but they also happened outside, right? They happened outside. And again, it was all done as worship towards a what? another God. So these four things were all centered around worship. Sexual morality is nothing but you worshiping yourself. Y'all get that? That's what sexual morality is. I want to do what I want to do, what feels good, and according to my circumstances, leave me alone. That's what that is. So everything is all centered around worship and living, not for another God, but living for the one true God. Not living for yourself, but living for him selflessly. Do you see that? So does that, does that now make sense a little bit? Because I'm like, all right, how, how do I apply those four things in my life? Well, that was the heart of it. The center of it was that. It was about avoiding demonic worship. And here's the thing about those demonic practices, guys. That, and this is true of not only um, antiquity as well. One of the greatest uh, theologians in church history, guys, if you don't know this dude, this, I'll put you on him, all right? Augustine of Hippo. Okay, hippo. I don't know how you want to say hippo, hippopotamus. I don't know how you want to say it, but that's what the guy's name. Okay, one of the coolest guys, a great, great contributor to our understanding and uh, amazing. I'm just going to leave it there. Um, he wrote a book about called the City of God, and this was because the Romans were actually, you know, being uh, sacked by different. Um, neighboring warlords and stuff like that and so they're blaming the christians saying it's the christians fault ever since the christians took over look what happened to us you know ever since the christians took over rome what happened to the glory of rome and so they were putting the blame on us and augustine was pretty much saying uh no first off get my god out your mouth number one okay that's not it he's not the one to blame and he talks about their demonic practices that happened in the temples and in their homes related to this because they would do what these demons would want is they would ask people to say, do this in honor of me or else. 
Do this in honor of me or else I'm going to bring a plague. Do this in honor of me or else I'm going to do this and I'm going to cause this and cause this catastrophic situation. Y'all don't want to mess with me. And, and there's times that it happened. And so the people were living in fear of these demons. And um, do you guys know that's where like the Olympics and stuff came from? A lot of like Rome and the sporting arenas that are des- our sport, our, our arenas are designed very much like according to the demonic designs that were requested of them. And they was like, put on this sporting event in my name. Now, nothing against sports. Sports is not demonic. Some of y'all will be like, where's he going? I'm not going there. Okay. Sports isn't demonic. But they would, when they would put sports on, it was usually like disgusting things that were put on display. Like everything that was happening privately inside of the temples, they wanted to put it and make it public. So, hey, let's put some like gruesome, gory things in display. And then the plays were one of those things as well. They would say, put on this play in my name or else I'm going to pow, you know. And so they would put on these plays and these these Greek tragedies. You know how they call them a tragedy? It's because these Greek tragedies were things that the demons inspired. And it was always, this is why it's called a tragedy. It's the fall of a great person. So it would be a cool story about somebody and the story ends with them in full depravity and and just everything happening wrong and them falling into the most wicked, dark sin and period. Tragedy. No funny and you know, like, like Marvel, Thanos wins, over, walking away. That's it. No end game after that. The bad guy wins every single time. The good person who started good has been corrupted and stayed corrupted. That's tragedies. And a lot of the comedies, the Greek comedies, were designed to take disgusting things and wicked, evil things and make it funny so <laughs> we can uh, all laugh about things that are serious. Guys, does any of those things sound familiar even today? Do you see that happening today? Do we not see some of the most, the the things that are the most anti-God, they make it funny, right? They make these things funny. Why? Because it puts your guard down. You're laughing. Ha ha, this and that. Wow, that was crazy. But you know, it's pretty funny at the same time. You know what that's called? That's called grooming. And guys, listen, the enemy uses our entertainment to groom our hearts. And so you can, I, I, trust me, there's, I don't know if, I don't know if it's an older, getting an older thing, but has anybody ever seen something, you know, again, you have to be a little old in this case, when you see an old movie that was funny, and then you watch it again, like, let's say as a believer, and you're like, that's not funny at all. Like, anybody ever experienced like that? Yes or no? That's crazy, right? Because why? Because in, back then, maybe when I wasn't saved, that was, this is hilarious. And by, I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, What? Or music. Have you ever, I know I've had some of those. I mean, I used to jam out of this song. I used to listen to that. I used to whatever. And then now you put that song on later and you're, you're watching the Spotify lyrics. I'm like, I got to repent all over again. Oh my, this is what I was singing. This is what I was listening to. I didn't know. I was just jamming to the beat of this and that. What the heck? Or movies. Have you ever seen a movie where everything is fine and normal and out of, out of nowhere, it's just a scene that makes no sense, Right? I mean, it's not contributing to the story at all, but it's putting filth in front of you. It's putting filth in front of you. Or, or again, man, oh, like I, I've seen some movies, we'd have some talks, we were like talking about movies here a lot, and, and, and they was like, oh, I just love this movie because of this and because of that. Yeah, it has some this, 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 but you know, this is, oh my gosh, this is so cool. But then it's like you have to put up with like, you know, folks, you know. Why does that happen? Because see, in the same way, these same demons that encourage people to live a kind of way, if, if they put it in front of you long enough, 
if they, if they make you laugh about it, if you're entertained by it, eventually, you're just going to put your guard down. Eventually, what would have been no will be, uh, whatever, I'll tolerate it. And eventually, what you tolerate, you're eventually going to practice. And, and I'll say it this way. Well, what if I don't? Pastor, I look, I, I watch this, 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 and I don't put those things into practice. All right, cool. How close are you with your relation with God? Well, you know, I can, but all right, there it is. And so, listen, there's a lot of these things and a lot of these activities, or even, let's say, places. You know, we've all, I'm, I'm sure we've done this. Have you ever used to, you used to do something, and then I'm back, you know, later on, you grow up, and you're like, what was I doing? That was fun. That wasn't fun at all. Like, what was I thinking? It was this imagination of what fun was right and this is what it should be but listen a lot of times a lot of the wickedness that the enemy does is he puts it in front of you and wants you to be entertained by it not so that you can necessarily be it but here's really the win if they can just get you to replace and take all of the time that you could have given to God and put it in something else you you might not have become a serial killer or just kind of out here you know just like doing whatever being with everybody but you know what you didn't do you didn't spend time with God. And that has now drawn you away from him. Do you see that? So all of these things are still good. Movies are still good. Music's still good. Video games are still good. You know, all these things are still good. But you got to ask yourself, let me challenge you guys. Let me ask yourself, what about me? Am I being, what about this? Am I being entertained by? What is entertaining me? Because what you see as entertainment, demons see as worship. What you see as entertainment, demons receive it as worship. Because the same way that God, he wants us to grow in his likeness. That's what worship is, is to becoming more like Christ. Well, you know what demons don't want? They don't want you to be more like Christ. Who they want you to be more like? Them. And how can they get you to be more like them? Just in the little things here and here and here. So in the thing that we can take away, and I got this bottom line. I want you to put it up, uh, Josue, if you don't mind, put it up. Here's the bottom line that I want you guys to talk away from, uh, like take away from this. When it comes to your faith, listen, you are saved by grace alone, but you are called to live by grace in this way that we are to abstain from the things that stain your relationship with God and others. Now, this is the rule. Remember, the guy, he gave him four rules. Look, as long as you guys aren't doing these things, meaning as long as your activity is not selfish in nature or motivated for the purpose of another God, then everything is fair game. Do it all for the glory of God. Some of you guys know this. Paul says, even if you eat or drink in the simplest of tasks, he says, do it for the glory of God. So that's the idea. So guys, look at this. This is the one thing that I think we can all take away from today is this abstain from what stains your relationship with God and others. Now this one, I'm not going to answer this question for you. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit does that. So for now, let me talk to the Christians, believers in the house. Listen, the one thing that we are called to live by, if you are saved by grace, you are called to live by grace. Meaning by grace is you live according to who God is, according to his standard, his strength, his purpose. The enemy's going to want to get you to still rely on you and figure this out on you and do it on your own. And so I'm going to ask you guys, what, let's do, look, let's look at the first one. Abstain from what stains your relationship with God. So what are some things that can stain your relationship with God? You know, some of you know this. Like, it's an activity where when you do it, at the end, you're like, ah, man, I shouldn't have done that. Or it could be a time waster. You know, it could just be something that, man, I keep on doing. I have a habit that this is what I do, this is what I do, this is what I do. And I know I, I'm just wasting my time. You feel me? It's not something wicked. It's not disgusting, but it's just lazy. It's just something lazy that I could be doing something better. 
And so whatever that is, and for some of you, it, it could be double dipping into a sin that you asked Jesus to forgive you from a while ago, right? He was like, God, when you asked him to forgive you of your sins, this was in the category of it. And then maybe you're kind of still playing with it. It's one thing to say that, guys, if you're struggling with something, which I want to encourage you today online to as well, if you're still struggling with a sin that you knew, you asked God to forgive you of, but, and you hate the fact that there's a temptation still there, that's a good sign. Keep hating it. Keep pursuing God. Keep trusting in him. He'll give you victory over it. And, and even if there's still a struggle, he's there with you in the struggle. But you, I think you all would know, if I asked you right now, what stains your relationship with God? What actions, what attitudes, what habits? I really think that you guys, I don't need to do anything else. You already can list probably like five or 10 things. And so guys, what I'm telling you to do is why? Like why, when you say yes to these things, you are saying no to God. That's what it is. And so the living and being a part of a living for God and living and enjoying him is learning to say yes to the right things and no to others saying, listen, I'm just going to not go to these places. Every time I go here, I put myself in a situation. Every time I do this or I create this circumstance, I put myself, I compromise myself and I set myself up. Y'all understand? Y'all tracking? Things like that. Every time I'm around these people, this is who I act like. Now, we're called to have relationships with people who are non-believers, but do you see the difference? Am I being influenced or am I an agent of influence? There's the difference there. And so abstain from, uh, abstain from the things that stain your relation with God and your relation with others. So here's a good one. And by the way, on Wednesday, I'm going to go deeper on this. So I'm going to make an announcement at the end later. But every Wednesday for the summer, uh, me, my wife, my family, we're going to be here in this church, in the chapel at 730. This is going to be on, um, in person only. Online, we're going to do something else. But I'm going to be here every Wednesday. And we're going to go deeper on things that we couldn't focus on. So this is going to be one of those things that I'm going to mention now that we're going to focus on on Wednesday. So if you want to understand more and you got that time, slide over. If not, you know, we'll figure that out away. But I'm going to be here on Wednesday. And so this other one is important. As Christians, how can you abstain from the things that stain your relationship with others? Meaning, maybe there's an action, there's a habit, there's an activity that you can do, that it doesn't wreck your relation with God. Like it doesn't stain your consciousness, uh, not your consciousness, your conscience. I always say that word wrong. Your conscience, it doesn't mess with your conscience. Like you do it and you don't feel guilty about it later. You feel, that's what I'm talking about. Like there's things that you can do that are silly. Maybe for somebody, I'm like, oh my gosh, no, we shouldn't be doing things like that. I'm like, it's a sandwich. I can eat a sandwich. No, you don't understand. You know, um, you know, there's some people that are like that, that, you know, they get triggered by the craziest things. And scripture says, listen, there's a lot of immature believers that they're still traumatized. You know, there's things about their old life, things about their old ways that when you bring it up and somebody else is doing it, it, ah, it brings them to a weird spot. And so when you abstain from the things that stay in your relation with others, and this is good for marriages and all this stuff as well, like saying, all right, even though what I'm going to feel, what I want to do doesn't bother me. It's not, uh, I don't feel like it's not, I'm not rewriting scripture. It's not a sin. I, I can't point to something. But if it offends or, or causes another person to stumble, maybe I just don't do it for the sake of them. Do you see the difference there? So, you know, maybe you, you, you can have something and, and you're like, oh, I'm going to take an Instagram picture on this. But I was like, wait, but if, I, if somebody sees me, is this going to make them think, you know, am I two-faced, you know, kind of a Christian? Like, because that's the thing. Like, if these Christians would show up to these demonic temples and they're telling them about Jesus, right, on Sundays, but they're at the, the demonic temple, you know, just, you know, sucking on veins Saturday night, 
that's a little conflicting messages again, right? And so the idea is like, where do you go? Who do you hang out with? What do you do? Considering the fact that people are seeing. And so you obviously can't, um, and this is where I got to leave this for another day because it, there's a lot of questions that can be popped up in there. But the idea is that you're considered of others. Does that make sense? You got to think of others. How does my living help others to get to know God? Am I sending conflicting messages with my life or am I being consistent and letting them know? Because guys, if you're telling them, guys, what you need is Jesus, but you look like them, talk like them, act like them, do the same things that they do, then you know, what difference do you have? None. You have none. And so you abstain from the things that stain your soul. And, and it matters, guys, because all of these things, your relation with God is not going to thrive in this way. Now, for example, I've, I've been married once, plan only to be once only, okay? Been married once, plan on it. And as a pastor, I've had to officiate a lot of weddings and, re- and, and uh, you know, anniversaries and stuff like that, right? That was cool, man. Last year? That was awesome. And so there's a part where there's the vowels. I think we're all familiar with this, right? Where it says, I take you to be my lawfully wedded spouse. And wh- how does it go? Uh, through uh, the good times and the bad. Hopefully more good than bad, right? Through, uh, through rich or for poor. Hopefully not too poor. You know, like that's a lot of those things that we think of, right? Those, those scenarios. The rich and poor, the good and bad, sickness and in health, all these things. And then there's always that final one. And forsaking all others. In essence, you're saying for me to say yes to you, I'm saying no to everybody else. There's about, you know, how, how many billion other people that I could have. But you know what? I don't need to be with all billion to understand that you are who you are. I want you. And I'm saying no to everybody else. Could you imagine if at, at the wedding you go and there's this agreement? I was like, all right, how about we agree on six out of seven? Okay. How about we're good with the poor and the sick and all that stuff? But, um, you know, forsaking all others, I think that's a little too extreme. Come on. Now. I was like, how, six out of seven, let's compromise on six out of seven. How well do you think a marriage would thrive if you got one or both keeping past relationships alive? Be honest, right? Of course not. And so here's the thing. Same works with your relationship with God. How is your relationship with God going to thrive if you're keeping all these past relationships with this action, this attitude, this thing, this habit? How is this going to thrive if you haven't abstained from these other things in which caused you to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins? Yeah, you feel me on that? And so you can't play games with this thing. It's the same way. And that's why Paul, how did, um, how did James end his letter? We all read it together. He says, you will do well. Why will you do well in abstaining from the things that stain your relationship with God and others? Because you're going to grow closer to God. And guys, he says, listen to the trade-off. By you worshiping a demon, what are you getting out of that? Nothing. So instead of worshiping a demon and giving your life to this demon and acknowledging him, no, acknowledge Christ. This is the real deal. All of these are nothing. So why are you wasting your time? Say yes to Christ. Enjoy him. Look to him. That's what you need to do. Of course, you're going to do well because you're going to grow in your relationship with God and you're going to thrive on that. And his life and his love is just going to be in you. And so that matters. And so for us, guys, I want to challenge you. This is the thing. The only thing that can remove the stains and empower you to abstain is the same thing. It's what the theme that we've been talking about. It's the grace of God. If you could not forgive, if you could not save yourself, then why do you think that you can live 
on your own, according to your own strength and wisdom and power. When God has made available everything. So it is by the same grace that your stains can be removed. And it's the same grace in which you can be saved. And here's the good news, guys. Even as you are saved, there's going to be moments when you're going to be learning and you're going to be growing and things that you were doing at one point. Okay, you're going to realize, wow, you know what? I'm being convicted and you're growing your relationship. You're realizing I need to move on from that or maybe I shouldn't do that. That there's grace in there. You're going to mess things up along the way. But the same God who got you out of the first stain can help you to remove and abstain from the others. You see that it is him and him alone and I got a little image little video 40 seconds to kind of help to visualize this all right so can we put it on the screen so this is you all right there's a little audio to that if you want to turn it upside on this is you this is a sheep that got caught in the the cracks now this sheep cannot get out on its own all right he can't get out on its own and so what does he need he needs the help of a shepherd guys this is you and I we are caught in our sin we are dead but Jesus when we say, Jesus, forgive me, save me, this is what Jesus does. He pulls us out from the cracks, from the pit of hell itself. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit, and we're excited, and we're running, living for him, and boom. Okay. All right, come back, come back to me. So, all right, let me talk to my Christians in the house. Tell me that's not you, right? All right, you, you don't have to put it again. Tell me that's not you, right? God saves you, and then you find yourself in just, oh my God, another one, another one, another one. Like, you know, it's like another one. And so, guys, here's the good news about God's grace. First off, you and I are in that pit. And when you ask God to forgive you of your sins, that's what he does. He literally by his spirit, by his power, the same Christ who died on the cross rose from the grave and his living nail-scarred hands pulls you out from the pit of hell. That is what he does. And then the Christian life is literally learning how to enjoy life. It's a lot of the both. It's a lot of whoo-hoo and aww, and aww. You know, in these moments, God, help me again, help me again. And here's the beautiful part, guys. Check this out. It is by God's grace that we're saved. And it is by the power of God's grace that we can abstain and learn. But there's learn. There's learning to be done. And here's where when you and I still have these moments when we say what we shouldn't have said or did what we shouldn't have done. And then now what do we do? There's grace. There's grace. This is why Paul says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Meaning after he's pulled you out and you fall in again, I'm like, all right, you're learning. All right, buddy, here, let me help you. Did you learn your lesson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I was like, all right, did you learn your lesson? There's grace towards God. And so when we find ourselves as believers in those holes, listen, we encourage each other. That's part of what we do. If we see a brother and sister that's in there, then God leads us to be able to encourage them, pray for them, pray them out of that pit, jump in that pit with them to love them, to lift them up. That's what God does in us and through us. But again, it is all by his grace. And like I said about that 49 billion, which I know some of y'all haven't forgotten. I know you wrote that as a note down. I'm like, I gotta check that later. All that money goes unclaimed, right? Well, listen, there's God's grace that goes unclaimed. There's a lot of God's grace that goes unclaimed. There's a lot of people who are stuck in pits like that. And maybe that could be some people online, some of us here, that you're stuck in a pit of sin. And you've been trying to figure your way out and you can't. 
and you've tried even religious activities and it's not enough. That's what the Judaizers were about. Hey, do all this religious activities and you'll be better. Not even that. Some of you have probably felt that and you've tried and tried and tried and you've tried to read the Bible and it's still boring and you try to pray and you're still, it's still falling asleep or it's still weird and this and that and you try to do this and you're trying and trying and you're not doing anything because you're trusting still in yourself. And there's grace that goes unclaimed when literally your name is on it. Guys, when an inheritance, in order for an inheritance to be released, what has to happen to the person? The person has to, got, has to die. And once they are dead, they legally, that inheritance belongs to somebody else. What did Jesus do for us to be able to receive the inheritance of his grace? But he died. Now here's the thing, I know he rose from the dead, so it doesn't cancel out the fact that he legally died because he legally died. And so even though he's alive, we still have access to that because of what he's done for us. And so all we need to do to be saved is to do what? Believe and put our trust in Christ and he does it. And then all we are called to do from that point on is live by his grace. And his grace is called himself. It's the Holy Spirit that he gives us. When God forgives you guys, he doesn't just forgive you, he fills you. He doesn't forgive you. He fills you. He does both. He forgives you and cleans you out so that he can fill you with his Holy Spirit. And now it's up to you, though, to be able to. You got it in you. And so imagine you go and you claim all that money, but it sits in an account and you don't touch it. That's what believers do, guys. Now I'm talking to the Christians. There are some of you, I guarantee it because it happens to me, it happens to all of us, that there are elements of God's grace that we've received, yet we still choose to operate in our own flesh. Or we entertain ourselves, and this, you know, we live according to our own desires and wishes, which doesn't cause us to live according to God's, which means that we are on our own, though the, the, the grace is there to live by. And some of you are believers in Christ and you're probably still struggling with a sin, struggling with an attitude. Guys, I struggled the longest when I got saved and I realized how much, how undeserving I was of God's love. And all I was compelled to do was feel like I had to pay God back. All I felt to do because I felt so insignificant was I felt that I had to live in a way to prove it to God. Really, I needed to prove it to myself that I wasn't a waste. I needed to prove it to myself that I was worth that sacrifice. I was still selfish. And I remember the day. I don't necessarily remember the day I got saved, but I do remember the day I gave up and said, God, I know I'm saved. I know you love me, but I'm trying to do this. And I know, and I really felt him. He's like, you just need to stop, man. And I remember the day that it happened. It was, and it felt like just liquid lava inside that it just felt so freeing. It felt so freeing to know I don't have to perform for you. It felt so freeing to know that I'm not, I'm not, I don't have to do this to pay you back or to, to prove anything to you or prove anything to me because Jesus dying on the cross is the ultimate proof of how much he loves you and that's it. That's it. That's all he did. That is the ultimate proof. And this is why Pentecost is so important, which we talked about at the very beginning of the year with Acts. And we talked about the importance of that was with the day that now the Holy Spirit fell down. And now we have been given access to the grace of God because of what Jesus did for us. And now that means, guys, we are no longer alone. We don't have to live according to our own strength. We don't have to live according to our own abilities. We have it and we have him to live in us and through us, but it's up to us to not leave it go unclaimed or unused. Paul tells Timothy 
at the end of his life, he's about to die after experiencing the grace of God. He writes in 2 Timothy example after example of God's grace in my life, God's grace in my life. And you know what he says in Acts 2, um, Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 1, he says, So therefore, my son, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Guys, I, I say that to you because I want you to know that the grace of God, there's strength. There's strength to endure. There is strength to deal. There is strength to, to whatever you are going through. And you don't feel like you are enough. Good news, you're not. Okay, and that sounds like good news. Well, it's more like bad news. Bad news, you're not enough. Good news, he is enough. His strength is made perfect in your weakness if you trust in him. To be strong in him. And, he, and Paul says in Ephesians, he says this, Praise be to the glory, the glorious grace that Jesus lavished on us and lavished is this excessive pouring. Think of a stack of pancakes and you're just being obnoxious, right? To the point that I, I yell at my kids. I'm like, it's, you're drowning in. I'm like, I don't care. That is God on the cross. That is God pouring out his love on us. He's not just little, you know, he's not sprinkling. He is pouring. It is a fire hose of love that is what he's doing when he lavishes us with his love by his grace he says this in jesus we have the redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according listen to this word the riches of his grace the riches of his grace the riches of his grace see that's the good news guys about the grace of god is that even when you are a believer in christ some of you guys, I pray today may be a, a really a shifting day for you. Some of you are still too paranoid about your prayer life. You're still too paranoid about, am I praying right? Am I doing this? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it? Listen, you should never have to worry about your praying a kind of way because you serve a God of grace. Do you, and that, that hasn't hit. You serve a God of grace, meaning that there's going to be imperfections. There's, some of you are still worried about living right. Well, I don't know, man, I'm really struggling to get it right. I'm still struggling to get it right. What does God think of me? What does God think of me? Look to the cross for him to see what he thinks of you. He thinks of you is love. That's what it is. It is a love. And so, guys, you don't have to be afraid of what is he going to think. What does he think? No, we serve a God of grace. I don't care how many times you fall into those cracks, even as a believer in Christ Jesus, maybe it might be, you know, depression, it may be an addiction, it may be this, it may be that. However many times you fall in the crack, God's not going to be, oh my God, hit the hearing, come on, did you understand? Like, that's not our God, he doesn't do that. He lovingly brings us in, lifts us, encourages us and say, all right, he dusts us off and then, all right, we're moving on again. Let's move on. That is the God of grace, guys, that you have. And some of us, it's unclaimed. And some of you, you've claimed it, but it goes unused because you're still beating yourself up, trying to punish yourself for a sin that Jesus already punished, you know, took the punishment for you. That's good news. This is why we call it good news. This is why, again, that song, Amazing Grace for a Reason. We don't have to live afraid of anything when we're in Christ because we serve a God of grace, an overwhelming God of grace. And if some of you were going to be, if you're still itching to find out if you got some unclaimed money that the government, Uncle Sam owes you, could you imagine if we were that fast and itchy to run into our father's arms and to access the riches of his grace that he has made available to us? There's a reason why the song and verses go, God's grace is enough. And God's grace is not a force. It's not something external. You know what God's grace is? Himself. Himself. 
God's grace is enough because he is enough. So for you, some of you that you've had enough and you don't know what else to do, or you're struggling because you don't have enough, I have good news for you guys. God's grace is enough. He is enough for you. I'm going to repeat myself and say, listen, God's grace is enough for you. He is enough for you. I pray that any burden of performance, any burden of anxiety may just melt right now as you place your trust in Christ and for you to understand the beauty of his grace. Do not live in fear of how to pray because you pray to a God of grace who is loving and, and oversees a lot of those growing pains. Do not be afraid of how you are living for him because you live and serve a God of grace. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be concerned. You know, that doesn't mean that we can just, oh, we can just kind of do whatever we want. No, my prayer is that your anxiety, your anxiety that you may have of trying to be perfect and trying to earn God's love and prove anything to him and to yourself, I pray that that may go away and that you may bury it right now in the empty tomb. All right, Jesus made room in that empty tomb for you to put those things in there so that you can live. All right, you serve a God of grace. He is enough for you. He is enough for you. Keep revolving around that truth so that by his love, he can continue to do a work in and through you.